For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Friday, everyone. 49 years ago today, I was reading this book, The Magic of Believing. True story. And in the book, Claude M. Bristol says, set your mind on a goal like a homing pigeon and go after it with dogged determination. I closed the book and I went in and I announced to my mom and dad that five years from that day, I would come to New York City. And they both, of course, looked at me as if I was speaking in tongues. They didn't know what to make of that. And they still, my father has passed on. He's up there chuckling now. My mom still doesn't know what to make of it. It took my mom almost 20 years before she stopped saying at the end of every phone call, when you're coming back home. But I made up my mind that I was going to move to New York on August 5th, 1979. And on that day, I arrived in New York with $500 in my pocket. I was 18 years old. I had never flown before. I had never been outside of my hometown. I had never slept in any other bedroom other than my own, except when I stayed at my grandparents. But I had a dream and I had a desire, which is our giveaway word tonight. And I was determined that I was gonna to come to New York and I was going to be in show business. There are very few people that can probably tell you where they were exactly 43 years ago tonight at this very moment. But I can tell you exactly where I was. I was at 86th Street and 3rd Avenue, and 2nd Avenue, and I was alone. Uh, and I cried my eyes out because I was scared to death. I had had this dream of coming to New York, but I was determined that no matter what, I was going to make it. And as I sit here and I think about the friends that have surrounded me all these years, I am one lucky guy because all of my friends have become family and they have lifted me up. And I realize that every single day of my life, I've manifested goodness in my life. Sure, there have been bumps in the road and sure there have been difficult times, but I have had one hell of a ride and I am just beginning, just wait and see. But just before the pandemic, I created along with Jay Rogers and Brian Summers, uh, a new show called The Magic of Believing, which told the journey of me going from Conway, South Carolina to New York. And we had this opening and I'm going to open with that opening tonight. But because I have not done this alone, I have a few surprises. I have a few friends in the wings that are gonna come out tonight and they are gonna ask the questions uh, that maybe you've been thinking of so that uh, we can all uh, get to know more of my story instead of me repeating the same story that most of you have heard over and over and over again. But in any case, here is that opening, and uh, this is the story of Ricky Skipper from Conway to Broadway. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> 
following program is brought to you in living color on NBC.
So one of my friends joining me this evening is Paul Brogan, who is here. Paul was on the show a few weeks ago. He has a wonderful new book out, and which, by the way, Paul, I don't know if you saw my post today, is in the top 10 of the most watched videos of the past few weeks. So, And, of course, you knew Carol uh, Channing, who we saw a couple of times in this montage. And I'm thrilled that you're here tonight, but I, uh, as I've done with everyone tonight, uh, I am going to take a back seat, believe it or not, and let you ask the questions tonight. And then uh, you will bring on our next guest. All right. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And I absolutely adored that video. That was absolutely amazing. And what a stellar and marvelous career you've had to date. And I know that you're still in your sophomore year of what will be, you know, many more years of great success. But it's great to be a part of this evening. And I do have a couple of questions for you. My first question would be, as you look back almost 43 years, is there anything that you would change if you had the ability to snap your fingers and, and change it? Um, yeah, I'm glad that you asked that question. And this may come as a huge surprise to a lot of people. Um, I don't think that I would have spent as many years performing as Carol Channing, mm -hmm. uh, believe it or not. Um, you know, getting to know Carol as well as I got to know her, um, I realized that no one could have ever lived up to that, uh, to who she truly was. And the more I got to know her, the less that desire to perform as her was there. Uh, and Carol once said to me uh, that she felt, and I've got it on a poster uh, hanging here in my office, where she wrote that I, she said that she felt that I was a great musical comedy star, but that no one would know it because I was hiding behind her. Mm -hmm. And she said she really appreciated what I did and what I brought to the table as her, but that she felt that people would not really get a chance to know who I was. And I feel that because I performed for so many years as Carol, uh, and uh, if I do say so myself, and you saw me perform as Carol, uh, it was effort. Uh, it seemed effortless to people. And because it seemed effortless to people, and this may sound braggadocious of me, um, they didn't see the work that went into it. And because they didn't see the work that went into it, they thought it was a piece of cake for me. And as a result, I don't think that they have taken me as seriously as an artist uh, and uh, as an actor. Uh, and I just, I don't regret those years at all. Uh, I just wish that I had spent a little bit more time uh, doing other things uh, as opposed to 20 years doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm reminded watching those clips of what a beautiful voice you have you. as Richard Skipper, and it's very impressive. But also noting on what you just talked about, when you played Carol, you completely became Carol. The audience suspended belief. People were not sitting there saying, oh, it's a man up there performing as Carol Channing because you became her in body and in spirit and every gesture you made and totally put yourself into that. And that's what made the experience of watching you so incredible and, you know, rather awe-inspiring to watch it. So it's certainly, uh, you know, but but you have a beautiful voice as yourself. You. And that's, you. that's wonderful. 
I also wanted to ask you, um, do you have a go-to song that you call upon if you're having a frenetic day or if things are just going off the rails and you need something to just help you or to wash away all of that during the three to five minutes that a song would, would go. Do you have a particular? As a matter of fact, I do. And it's, it's not where you start it's where you finish. And the, uh, the arrangement that I go to Mm -hmm. uh, is Barbara Cook's arrangement of that. Ah. Um, There's just, I mean, it's the feel for that. And the other song is the world must be bigger than an Avenue from Irene. Mm-hmm. Those two songs, when I, if I'm feeling that, mm-hmm. those two songs, uh, and my neighbors hear me singing those songs around the house. And believe it or not, um, I have a playlist that I play every morning on shuffle of Broadway overtures to start my day. Oh, wonderful. Uh-huh. And does it run the gamut from overtures from the 40s or 50s right up to today? No, it's really mostly the golden age of Broadway. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. A lot of Julie Stein and a lot of Jerry Herman. Of mm-hmm. course, there's Oliver and, uh, yes. you know, Funny Girl is there and mm-hmm. the Fantastics is there, you know, and a few other things. Uh, but uh, pretty much uh, Julie Stein, uh, Jerry Herman, uh, you know, my two, a lot of Candor and Ebb, you know, that, that's there mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Jerry Herman wrote some beautiful, beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and is not always rated as highly as he should be uh, for his work. I mean, something like It Only Takes a Moment is a stunning song just by itself, you know, not even within the context of the show. Right. Among the things you have planned in the future, do you have um, any plans to perhaps publish a book about the Hello Dollies? Because you have shared the most incredible stories and interviews on Facebook over the years that uh, even I, who think I know so much about musical theater and all, find myself discovering whole new avenues and pieces of information. Will that some day see the light of day? I hope so. You know, I I had every intention of putting a book out to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Dolly, mm-hmm. and I've interviewed so many people uh, mm-hmm. Uh, who have played Dolly over the years, um, and a few men too. Um, and uh, I and I've been working on the book, and I put my eggs all in the basket with one person, which was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought everything was going in a certain direction. And then one day he surprised me and said, "I think your ship has sailed. No one's interested in the book." And I said, what do you mean no one's interested in the book? Uh, No one has seen a proposal. No one has uh, seen what I put uh, together with this. Uh, And then when COVID hit and I started doing these interviews uh, of a bigger spectrum, Mm -hmm. it's taken my life in a different direction. And because it's taken my life in a different direction, what was a focus of mine about five, six, seven years ago Mm-hmm. is not that focus right now. Mm-hmm. So I hope that once I get truly established with what I'm doing now, because I do have a lot of irons on the fire, when I make that leap and it will happen, mm-hmm. then that's when it will be time to hit everyone uh-huh. with the book. 
Yes. Okay, wonderful. And I'll ask one more so that your other guests have an ample opportunity. I know they're in the wings waiting, but is there a dream role uh, in any musical, past or present, that you would love to tackle? That's an interesting question. You know, I guess when I was younger, um, that is probably, I, I don't think, you know, my desire to do a role is not that intense anymore mm -hmm. uh, because I really love celebrating other artists. Mm -hmm. um, I love performing as myself on stage and I love sharing the stage with other performers mm -hmm. uh, and maybe a role will come along someday. But right now there's nothing really out there that I have this intense desire that I say, I've got to play that role someday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Wonderful. Well, congratulations again. And thank yeah. you for all you do to celebrate everyone that you touch with your magic. And I know thank that you. it's lovely to be here tonight. Thank you. Now, do you know who you want to bring on or do you just want to, uh, or do you want to pull a random number? Um, I've never met Harvey, although I've watched his interviews. Really? I would love to introduce him. Well, do you want to introduce him and I'll bring him on? Yeah. Okay, Harvey Brownstone is a distinguished uh, interviewer and a former judge in Canada who, very much like Richard, um, interviews people and helps us to understand them better or to discover new facets to their being. And so it's a pleasure to introduce Harvey Brownstone. And I'm a huge fan of his, so I am thrilled that he said yes to being here tonight. Well, good evening, Richard and Paul. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And thank you for your very kind comments, Paul. You're welcome. Well, hello, Harvey. I'm so thrilled you said yes to being here tonight. Well, so now I'm going to be in the hot seat with you. <laughs> I would not miss it for the world. I enjoy your show immensely. I enjoy the spirit, your generosity of spirit, your warmth, your enthusiasm for life and your ability to make friends with every single guest you have on your show is really, you're the best at what you do. That's a very nice thing to say, and thank you so much. And I think that, you, you know, you'll want to talk. Well, I'm just doing it as a hobby. I'm a retired judge. I just needed something to do after I left the courtroom. <laughs> I spent 40 years cross-examining people and questioning them in the courtroom, and I thought this would be a lot more genteel. And uh, I love the combination that you and I bring to this medium. Uh, I've told you this before. You have these wonderful, warm conversations between two friends, and then I zero in and do the examination in chief. I think we make a great pair. <laughs> I think you're right. Absolutely. So do you want some questions? I want some questions. So uh, stick it to me, Your Honor. <laughs> well, my first question is, who were your role models, the people that inspired you, both as an entertainer and as an interviewer? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, uh, as an, uh, I'll start with Carol Channing. She was absolutely my first role mm -hmm. model. And what I, I loved about Carol 
uh, was that she gave to the audience. And it was always, always, always about the audience. And as I got to know her as a real person beyond being that icon that's out there, and it's very interesting, and I know that you can relate to this, you and I are very, very fortunate that we get to meet these people and we get to meet them on a level that most people never have the chance to meet them on. Uh, we see them when they're nervous behind the scenes. We see them when they let their hair down. And sometimes they share things with us behind the scenes. I know they do with you. They do with me at least. And you get a chance to really get a chance to know them. And I had the good fortune of staying at Carol's home, um, but Carol lived ate and breathed show business. She loved this business and she loved her audiences. And I often said I should write a book called Life as I Learned It from Carol because I learned so many life lessons from her. As far as interviews, um, my role model is, there are two. Um, number one, Merv Griffin. Merv Griffin and James Lipton. And I feel that both of them are sitting on my shoulders at all time. Um, I'm going to bring up a photograph uh, because uh, when I was a kid, I had an incredible mentor and that was Florence Epps. And this is her in this photograph. And Florence Epps took me under her wings when I was uh, 13. And she believed in me when no one else believed in me. And she told me that every time I stepped on stage, that, and I feel this every time I step in front of the camera as well, that I am carrying with me the mantle of every great person that has ever gone before me. And that, as she used to say, it behooves you, Ricky. Uh, I was always Ricky in South Carolina. It behooves you to carry that mantle with you and to celebrate them. That's why I call Richard Skipper Celebrates, to celebrate them and to make sure that their legacy is never forgotten. And it's something that I fear is happening in our culture. Uh, when you see the Tony Awards and the Oscars and the Emmy Awards and the Golden Globes and all of these award shows, when Lifetime Achievement Awards are relegated to being uh, a two-second moment of mentioning a name, if that much, and a person's, a lifetime of a person's body of worth, as I like to refer to it, is not even part of the broadcast, there's something wrong with this business. Yeah, you've said a mouthful there. And the wonderful thing about your show and mine, I guess, is that these shows remain on YouTube forever and will go down as part of show business history for the, you know, for posterity. Yes, yes. Now, can I ask you another question? Oh, go ahead. Well, I loved the film. I loved hearing you talk about your career. I'd like to hear more about your partner. You've been in a long-term relationship. Yeah. It sounds to me, from what, the little that I know, that he's not just the wind beneath your wings. He's your wings. <laughs> he is my foundation. He's my wings. He's the roof. He's everything. I couldn't do what I do without him. Uh, I am very, very fortunate. Um, Danny and I have been together 32 years. Um, we, you, if you saw in one of the photographs, we looked like we were two when we met. 
um, we, uh, from the moment we met, um, there was never this, is he the right one? Uh, I knew the moment I met him that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him. I'll tear up thinking about this because I can't imagine my life without him. Um, and I got very, very fortunate uh, that from the moment that we met, we've been together. We met uh, Memorial Day weekend in 1990. I was opening in an off-Broadway show uh, at the time. And um, it was interesting because he was able to experience that high in a person's life when a show is successful. The show was a very successful show for me and to ride that crest. And then he sees when the show closes and to see when nothing's happening. Um, and he is, uh, he's a landscape architect, a very successful landscape architect. Uh, he has no desire at all to be in the spotlight, uh, which is fine with me. <laughs> uh, there's no competition between the two of us. And we are soulmates. We have a great life together. We have created an incredible family of friends. Um, and we, we are just, we are incredibly blessed uh, with the people that have come into our lives and that have allowed us into their lives. Uh, so it's just been incredible. And his mom and I shared a birthday. Uh, and uh, so from the very beginning, you know, it's just been wonderful. Well, I'm so glad that you shone the light on him because he's a big part of what makes you fulfilled and happy and able to shine the light on so many other people. Yes. I couldn't do it without him. Absolutely. Okay. Am I allowed one more? Oh, you're allowed one more. And then we'll bring on our next guest. If you could interview any three people, living or dead, who would they be? Barbara Streisand, Barbara Streisand, Barbara Streisand. Are you listening, Barbara Streisand? No. Uh, Barbara, can Barbara you hear me? <laughs> uh, yes, Barbara Streisand. Uh, absolutely. I would love to interview Barbara Streisand. Uh, believe it or not, I would love to interview Barack Obama. Uh, and uh, I, uh, uh, and believe it or not, I've always wanted to interview Joanne Worley. That could happen. Joanne Worley stood by for Carol Channing. Uh, their careers were parallel careers. Uh, then Laugh-In, and she's had an incredible musical comedy career. I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, I, I think that she is uh, an underrated artist. I think, uh, and I would love to really celebrate her. So, uh, but that, uh, I, I, and uh, and Harvey, maybe you someday. Oh, that would be an honor. Yes, because your story is a very interesting story. So I'd love to have you on the show someday when you're ready. That's so sweet of you. Well, thank you for giving my chance, giving me a chance to interview right now. Okay. So well, we're not finished. Well, I, uh, you know, so who would you like to bring on next? Well, I'm, you haven't told me who else is on the show, so I don't know. So, you, well, you can pick a number, one or two. Oh, okay, two. And that will be Danielle. 
And Danielle, I consider Danielle a spiritual uh, soulmate of mine. And Danielle, do you want to share everyone about the spiritual connection that we had today? Yes, I did. If you saw on Facebook, you may have seen that this morning I woke up and Spirit brought to me an interview on YouTube of Phyllis Diller talking about the magic of believing and how she was partly responsible for some of the reprinting of that book, maybe even responsible for the reprint that you got, Richard. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I listened to the audiobook version of it again myself. And then soon after that, I got a message from Richard asking me if he wanted to uh, if I wanted to be on the show tonight. And here you are. Yeah. So you yeah. get to ask the questions tonight. And yeah. you probably, because you are so spiritually in tune, you probably um, know the answers to uh, the next uh, 43 years for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next, when we talk about the next, I like to believe that we are co-creators. So there's nothing ever set in stone. We all, we always have the power to consent and create what we want. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's why I actually, I know you said to Google you, but I don't like to do that because I like to get information organically. Um, so I wanted to know, do you want to talk more about manifesting and how uh, yes, you use that yes. book to get here? Yes. Yes, let's do that. That's great. Great. So how did you find that book? Um, that's an interesting question. I, I was at the library and uh, I, I, was, I, I was obsessed with self-help books because I, I grew up in a, uh, if, if my family's watching, uh, I don't see any of them now, uh, but they may see this later. <laughs> Um, I, unfortunately and fortunately, because I believe we learn from wherever we come from, my father was an alcoholic and uh, we didn't have the greatest relationship in the world, unfortunately. Um, and maybe that's why I escaped into the world of television and movies. Um, and uh, uh, when I was uh, in uh, uh, high school, I used to do these performances on the steps of my high school. Uh, those steps became my stage and I would do these lunchtime concerts. So I knew very early on uh, that I wanted to be in show business, that I had to be in show business. Uh, my local theater company, the Theater of the Republic, when they discovered me and I discovered them, uh, I started doing local theater. So. When I was 13 years old, I would go to my my parents would drop me off at the library on Saturday afternoons when they would do chores. And this was in the days before computers and online baking and everything. So to pay the bills, they went to the uh, telephone company. They went to the bank. They went to uh, the dry cleaners to pay the bills and everything. And while they were doing all those things on Saturdays, they would drop me off at the library and I would read everything. And then I just happened to be going through, I would go through the theater section, which was this small. And then I would go through the, there was a section of, I guess, metaphysical books. And there weren't, and that was even smaller. Uh, and, and I found this book, The Magic of Believing. And I checked it out and I started reading it. And when I read that line about 
going after your dreams and really honing in on it, it was almost as if a lightning bolt went through me. And uh, I, and I'm not not making this up. If my sister comes on, anyone who knows me in my hometown will tell you it's the absolute true story. I shut the book and I went in and I said to my parents, five years from today, I'm going to New York. I didn't know how. I didn't know anyone in New York. Um, I had never traveled before and I had no money. And, uh, but I knew I was going to do it. And once I made up my mind that I was going to do it, uh, it was my magnificent obsession, as they say. And I lived, I ate, I breathed it. Uh, it was all I could think about. Uh, and it was, it, it was, I was obsessed with it. So after you read that book and made the decision and made the intention, did you go into any other books or any other techniques to add to it? Or that was the one? This was pretty much the one. I remember that Shakti Gawain, Gawain had a book that came out around the same time. And of course, it was Dr. Norman Vincent Peale's book um, and Dale Carnegie's books. And those books were around. And then you would go to the, you know, in our hometown, there was Rose's department store. And at the checkout, there would be those books. And every once in a while, my mom would let me buy one of those books. And then, and I would read those books, but it was always this book that I carried around with me all the time. So did you ever mention the book or your manifesting practices or techniques to Carol? I'm curious. Uh, well, Carol, she used to say her, be, and you know, Paul knows this as well. She always used to say, be careful what you set your mind upon because you will surely attain it because she believed in that as well. She made up her mind when she was a small child that she was going to go after this. And, but I told her about the magic of believing. And I don't know that uh, she never questioned the fact that I would, uh, that it was, you know, this woo woo thing, as I've said, Um, it was just something that I made up my mind that I was going to do it and I went after it. So have you found throughout the years that you have added things of your own or from other teachers or practices to go after new dreams or, or additions to your dreams? Oh my God. Yes. Uh, Julia Cameron, uh, her morning pages, the artist way. Um, I, you know, I started doing this practice of every morning. Um, uh, I have what I call my hour and a half of power. Um, and it's, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do each morning is I go for a morning walk. Uh, that was something that I started doing from Julia Cameron. And then at, when I come back and I sit down to begin my day, um, my shelves are full of those books. You'll come to my home someday and you'll see. Um, and I choose it and I will pull a different book from the shelf and mm-hmm. I read a different passage each day. I pull a word of the day that becomes my day that I focus on. And I, as you know, everyone sees my hashtag words that I use throughout the day. And I, and I really focus on that word for the day. And what I started doing is I really think about my life in increments of 24 hours instead of the bigger picture. Right. Yes, my dreams are still there. And yes, I still go after those dreams. And yes, I'm working on that every single day 
but all I have is this 24 hours. Right. So I'm curious if you feel comfortable sharing also how you blend your practices and your techniques with with Danny and with your long partnership. Well, I mean, you know, it's very interesting because we don't really, you know, it's something that we don't really talk about or it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's a very personal private thing. And it's not something that we really has become really a part of our lives, believe it or not. As interesting as that, it's interesting that you ask that because it's not, yeah, I mean, I, I mean I it's not unusual. I, I was wondering because you've had such a long and loving partnership. And for most people, these practices are very individual rather than in couple. And actually, a lot of very spiritual people or people who are successful in these practices will end up with someone more balanced on the other end of the spectrum right. who really doesn't do a lot of that and, you know, doesn't dismiss it, but takes it with a lot of grain right. of salt. He's very grounded, incredibly grounded. And as a matter of fact, I need that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need that. Yes, keeps my feet on the ground. Yeah. Um, so non-manifesting question, although I believe this kind of thing manifests in our lives. Because we already touched on musicals, I was wondering about classic films. It, do you have three most loved or three most watched classic films that you looking back can see how they've also projected themselves into the career, the career you've created. Oh, absolutely. Uh, number one, the wizard of Oz. I mean, I lived, ate and breathed the wizard of Oz and Paul and Harvey, they know it was once a year uh, when the family got together and you watched it and it, there were no DVDs or VHS or anything. And if, if you missed it, which never happened in my household, uh, you uh, that was it. So it was The Wizard of Oz, number one. Uh, and interesting, uh, Lorna brought you and me together. Um, number two, Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella with Leslie Ann Warren. Impossible things are happening every day. Leslie Ann Warren has become a friend of mine. And wow. I manifested uh, her, interviewing her as soon as I heard that they were going to be doing, they were restoring the DVD, I put it out there that I had to be the one to interview her on stage in New York. I made it happen. Uh, and uh, last but not least, A Star is Born, Judy Garland, James Mason. I was thinking, if I was thinking of mine, if one of them only had to be Judy, I couldn't choose between A Star is Born or Wizard of Oz, so it's funny that you chose both. And hello, Dolly, of course, because I, I am, I truly am Dolly Levi. I am bringing people together all the time. Well, that was gonna be another one of my questions. Do you feel um, attached to any fictional characters and have you brought any of them into your persona besides Carol, of course? Absolutely. Um, and uh, it, it it's definitely Dolly Levi. Yeah. I was also wondering, now that you're performing as you and now that you're authentically you all the time in these interviews, do you find that you put on a persona because you're so used to putting on a persona for Carol? Well, I'll tell you something very interesting. When I was performing as Carol, and this is, you know, and so many people are watching who saw me perform as Carol. 
And this may come as a huge surprise to so many people who are watching it. Yes, the wig was there. The makeup was there. The voice was there. 95, 96, 97% of what was happening on that stage was Richard Skipper's persona. Because Carol, and Paul knows this as well, was incredibly scripted. She was not very spontaneous on stage. I mean, she could be spontaneous off stage, but when she was on stage, she was very scripted. And she even said to me once that she really admired how spontaneous I was with an audience. And even though I hid behind that persona for so long, um, what I did with an audience, now it's time for me to take all of that that I did for so many years. And just as I was beginning to do that, COVID hit. So now I'm ready, which will bring us to our next guest in a moment, but because I'm going to be performing again. Um, so it is time for me to get out there and take those elements as Richard Skipper, but without the mask of hiding behind someone else to present it. Okay, so I will ask one more question then so we can get to our other guest. Um, do you find that you set a new intention for each show that you do or each um, performance that you give, or do you keep it pretty consistent in intention throughout? Every single day, I want to be 1% better at least than I was the day before. That's my intention. So, and every person is different. So when I sit down, whether it's Paul or Harvey or you or wh whomever the guest is, um, I really want to focus on their energy, who they are, and honor who they are. And, and it's like, it's the same thing with an audience. When I walk out, my opening song is always gauging the energy of the room that I'm in. And that energy would always let me know where to go. I'm looking at people's faces. I always used to say to lighting designers, wherever I was, I am your worst nightmare. And they would go, what, what, what? And I'd say, because it's not about special effects. It's not about gels. It's not about pinks and blues and ambers. I want to see the eyes of the people in the back row. Because that's where I really am focused on the audience. And I feel the same way with my guest. Love that. So thank you. Happy anniversary. Thank you. You ready to bring on our next guest who's been waiting yes. very patiently? Parker yes. Nolan, who's been on the show. And Parker is bringing me out of retirement to perform in Washington, D.C. And we are very excited to see you here. I have to tell you, Richard. Uh, thank you for allowing me to participate in your celebration of your anniversary. This is wonderful. It is such a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I do have some questions for you, though. Okay, okay. It, what, what's really interesting about this evening is the tables are turned a little bit, right? And that we're getting to know you in ways that you normally get to know your guests. Mm -hmm. um, and before I ask my questions, I just kind of want to say, you're, you're coming up and going to New York at, at such, an, such an age, right out of high school, was amazing. Uh, that was something I wanted to do, didn't do it, um, but you did, and kudos to you for following your dreams. Uh, 
that is that is a very powerful message and model to show people. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, one of the things that's, that is a constant theme and thread from all your guests is how kind you are and how optimistic you are. How have you maintained that optimism? What tools do you use to maintain that optimism? Wow, what a great question. Um, well, first of all, I believe that there's enough negativity in the world and I don't need to add to it. Uh, that's first and foremost. Uh, when I first started writing, I wrote a blog and uh, someone suggested the uh, name of my blog being Richard's Rants and Raves. So that was the first title. And then someone pointed out, I was always raving, but I wasn't ranting. And I will give a full disclosure here. I went to see a show once and uh, I had been promoting the show and promoting the show and promoting the show. So uh, to prove that I'm not the saint that some people may think I am, I wrote a blog and I was, um, I felt that the artist had let the audience down. And I was honest about that in my blog. And I was honest about my appraisal. And I hurt that person with that blog. And it's a blog that I will always regret writing. And it's destroyed. Nobody will ever be able to see it. It doesn't exist anywhere. Um, I've apologized to that person. Um, and I will never, ever, ever do anything like that again. Um, I, uh, that's why I don't post anything negative about anyone online. Um, even, you know, if I see a movie and I don't like the movie, I won't write about it. Mm. And I know that people feel that if, there, if you don't like something, that you should write that you don't like something. But when artists put their heart and soul into something, um, I feel that to diminish their body of worth, as I call it, uh, is a disservice to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I never want to be a part of that. And so it was a life-changing moment for me. And it changed who I am as a person. I have been on the receiving end of being told, no, you can't, you won't, uh, you can't do these things. The last thing my father said to me before I left South Carolina to come to New York, as I was leaving to get on the plane, was I'll see you in three weeks. Because he didn't believe that I would make it in New York. Wow. And he never gave me the vote of confidence that I could make it. <laughs> and years later, there was a situation. Um, I had a roommate that I was paying cash to. And I came home one day and there was an eviction notice on the door. And uh, I, uh, when I confronted my roommate, uh, he, uh, he told me that, oh, we've gotten lots of those eviction notices. 
Well, Harvey knows <laughs> as a judge that after a while you get those things, uh, it's going to catch up with you. Mm-hmm. And it caught up with him. And we were told that we had to be out of the apartment in 72 hours or everything that we had would be padlocked. And I called my father and I said, um, I'm in dire straits. I need your help. And my dad said, I'll send you a one-way ticket to come home, but I'm not sending you any money. And I said, well, then I'll figure it out on my own. And I hung up and I found an SRO, I don't even know if they exist anymore, hotel on uh, 113th and Weston Avenue with a bathroom down the hall, uh, cockroaches, mice Mm -hmm. up and down the halls. And uh, I was there for quite some time until I could afford to get out. And I, not even a lock on the bathroom door. And I used to go in and take a quick shower thinking that, I was going to end up like Janet Lee in Psycho. I was petrified at this place. But mm-hmm. I was determined that I was going to make it in New York. And, and that was after being in New York for years that that happened to me. So I know that's a roundabout answer to your question. But I feel that um, we are not responsible for anything that's going on in the world but we are responsible on how we respond to it. Uh And I don't know why, but I have this heightened sense of how fragile our lives are. Uh And I'm reminded of it on a daily basis. And I was watching the news last night, two men standing on a street corner, having a conversation were hit by a car that jumped the curve and both of them were killed instantly. They were both in their early 40s. And here are these two men in the prime of their lives and it was snuffed out. On the same news program, two women, sisters, died in a house that caught on fire in Long Island. And then... And I don't, I don't want to get morbid with everyone, but at a McDonald's here in New York, a young kid got shot for serving cold French fries. And now he's brain dead. Wow. And I am reminded daily that we take these things for granted. Mm-hmm. That we're all, at the end of this show, we're all going to get up and we're going to all go out And we're going to go about our lives as if, well, that was a nice little diversion for the night. Everybody watching, everybody doing whatever we do. And that we're going to go about our lives. Mm -hmm. And I figure that you've all seen my shows. You hear what I say at the end of the shows about what we put out into the world. And I live it. And I mean it. And that is the answer to your question. And that's, that's a great answer. It really is. I did have two more questions, except Harvey took one of them. Doggone it. Um, so I'm going to ask another one. So first of all, you're, you're hearing about your overtures and Broadway overtures in the morning. 
was wonderful because that's what I do. And I know my partner just wants to throttle me every morning when all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> like, probably. <laughs> but that's a great way to start the day, right? Because how can you, how can you start a day when you listen to a Broadway overture? That's, you know, um, what is your favorite overture? It's Hello, Dolly. But trivia question, when Hello, Dolly opened on Broadway, it did not have an overture because Gower Champion did not like Broadway overtures. Did you know this? He liked for the show to begin immediately. And so it opens with Call on Dolly right into Hello, Dolly. Hmm. When Pearl Bailey did Dolly, she wanted an overture. And so the Pearl Bailey overture is my favorite overture. That and Mame, are, uh, Don Pippen, are my two favorite overtures. And I know some people go, gypsy, 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 which I love, but the Mame overture, because Mame was the first show that I ever did. And every time I hear that, it takes me right back to standing in the wings, waiting to go on stage. Yep. Yeah, and it's a Jerry Herman score too. So I mean, and that's classic, right? Yes, yes. That those are my questions, really. I mean, I, every uh, there been so such good conversation tonight, especially around the power of manifestation and intention, uh, which I think is so important for us. So I do want to say I do want to do a giveaway tool tonight. And I'm going to give away a copy of The Magic of Believing, which is a great book. And I am going to, uh, you know, uh, we've got a few people who have signed on. So there's still time for other people to do this. I'm going to answer uh, a, um, uh, I'm going to uh, respond to something that you said uh, to me off camera, Parker. And then I'm going to let Paul and Harvey and Danielle and you ask me one last question. Okay, so think about what that question will be as we wrap up tonight. And you said to me that you would have the desire at the same age to come to New York, but you didn't do it. Right. And when I was going through this uh, period in my life, when I was going, that I was going to come to New York, and everyone was saying to me, uh, yes, I reminded of the song, Everybody Says Don't. Everybody was saying, you won't do it, you won't do it, you won't do it. I come from a large family. Uh, my mom is the oldest of 16, and my dad was one of 10. I come from a large family, and uh, none of them believed that I would do it. And the last show that I did in South Carolina was Murat Saad with the uh, upstage company at the University of South Carolina. And... There was an actress in that company, Donna Catton, and Donna Catton came up to me and she pulled me aside and she said on Sunday morning, because it was a Sunday that I was coming to New York, she said, when you get up that morning, if you're throwing up, if you've got diarrhea, if you are sick as a dog, you still get on that plane, which the people, other passengers would have hated, of course. But she said, you get on that plane because you're doing this for all of us. You have to do it because I wanted to do the same thing. Uh -huh. I started saving money up and I figured I'm going to save the money and I'm going to go after high school. And then after high school, I was given the opportunity to buy a car. Uh -huh. 
And I figured, well, if I buy the car, then in a couple of years, I can drive to New York. And so I bought the car. And then in a couple of years, something else came up. And then something else came up. And then something else came up. Mm-hmm. And it never happened. And she has a wonderful life. She has a wonderful husband. Her daughter is living in Brooklyn now. So, but it never happened for her. And I do believe that if it was the real right thing for her, it would have happened. Mm-hmm. And I believe that for everybody, if it was the right thing, it would have happened. So for me, it was the right thing to happen. And I'll show you a picture. This is I my first audition in New York. I met this woman, Millie Brown. She became my first friend in New York. I called her the unsinkable <clears throat> Millie Brown. And this is a picture of us, my first week in New York. And you'll, you can see how scared and how young I was. Here I am. Look at me. Oh, wow. That was Millie. <laughs> so anyway, that's that. So we'll go around. Uh, Paul, do you have a question? Yes. Uh, what is the single most important quality you value in a friend? Empathy. Thank you. Empathy. Um, I think a lot of people, there's there's a great line in uh, The Music Man where Professor Harold Hill is going to meet Marion. And when she finally does agree to meet him at the footbridge, she says to him, you know, I almost didn't show up. And he said, you know, you can spend a lifetime collecting tomorrows to find out you have no yesterdays. And I think a lot of people will say, I'll do this tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll call you tomorrow. I'll do this tomorrow. I'll do this tomorrow. And it's a lot of putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And uh, I think dismissiveness is something that people do without being aware that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. That drives me up the wall. But empathy, I think, is the most important thing that any friend can have. So thank you for that. Harvey. Where do you see yourself in five years? Where do I see myself in five years? I see myself hosting my own show uh, on a major network uh, with all of you sitting around a round table joining me, uh, having this discussion uh, with me. Will you all join me? Yes. Yes. Put it all in your calendar right now. Five years from tonight. Okay. Danielle? So I know we both connect over inner child work, and you have that gorgeous picture of your little five-year-old pure self. So I was wondering, are there any desires from that little self that haven't materialized in some way in your career as of yet? Uh, Yes. Um, I... What I do, I feel that, and I got to say this the right way because I don't want to put the wrong message out there. I feel that what I do is in a small bubble and I just want to puncture that bubble so that it gets out to a wider audience. Uh, I desire 
I desire to get my message to a wider audience. My goal, my mission with what I desire, with what I do is to celebrate artists and their body of worth so that people get a chance to see these artists outside the spotlight. And so I desire to bring this to a bigger audience. So that's the, that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. And Parker. Lots of good questions again. So I think there are going to be people seeing this who are new to the business or who have not really been, um, who, who are not comfortable with manifestation or intention. But I think resilience is a really important part of that whole process. What would you tell someone to do to maintain their resilience in this business? Keep going. Just, I mean, you know, I know that's an easy thing to say. You have to believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you And you have to align yourself with the people who are going to believe in you. Uh, there's a lot of uh, negativity out there, and especially um, in uh, with social media now. Um, the the uh, FOMO and imposter syndrome and all of these things are getting into people's heads over and over and over again. And I think that the best thing to do is, as I tell everybody, put blinders on, get up each day saying, this is what my day is going to be. This mm -hmm. is what I have to do today and get to it. Right on. Great answer. That's all. That's all we have. So I want to thank everybody for making the beginning of what is now going to be my 44th year as we uh, are starting to embark on that. Uh, incredible. Uh, you know, four people that I admire so much and I love all the work. Harvey, who's your next interview, by the way, Harvey? Our next interview is... Uh, who have we got? You know, I never reveal that in advance. We have Tony Moore, who has written, uh, he's um, written a very fascinating book. Uh, okay, okay. Well, we got an exclusive tonight. So, Paul, what's next for you? Um, I go back to the classroom next month, a class on... Uh, four MGM ladies, Jeanette McDonald, Eleanor Powell, Norma Shera, and Joan Crawford. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. All from, uh, they, they were all under Thalberg, weren't they? Uh, not, uh, yes, they, well, they all, Eleanor Powell didn't. No, she came to Metro right before he passed away. Okay, okay. Uh, Danielle, uh, tell us what's happening with you, because you've got lots of incredible things happening. Yeah, so I'm being more consistent with um, podcast type videos and audio that I do chat and channel sessions. So that's uh, now at a new schedule time every Wednesday at 5 p.m. ET. I'll be posting and live in the comments there. And then session work, and I have some slots opened up for people that want to go even further into energy healing and consciousness coaching and stuff like that. So building programs and teachings as well, I'm really excited about. And Parker? Well, we are moving forward with the Capital Cabaret and Capital Cabaret Festival in 2023. So this coming few weeks, I'm just going to be 
buckling down and putting the nose to the grindstone to get things moving forward on that. And I will be bringing the magic of believing to Capital Cabaret. So, uh, so everyone, um, all of uh, our guests tonight, uh, their information will be on my YouTube channel page so that you'll be able to keep up with what they're doing and uh, please follow them, keep up with what they're doing. Um, thank you all for being here tonight and spending this evening with me. I am not kidding you, that first night, and I've talked about this before, I was alone in New York and I was, oh my God, I didn't, I was so naive. I didn't even know how to order a pizza. And if I did order a pizza, I wouldn't know how to tell them to get to where I was. Um, I was scared to death. And uh, so it is so nice to be surrounded by so many friends, both here and I see the comments on the side. Please leave a comment on YouTube after the show tonight. Uh, share this with your friends uh, because uh, it is, oh, I didn't do something. I've got to give away a book. I almost forgot. <laughs> and here we are. See, it popped into my head as I picked up the book. So thank you all. Look at all these wonderful names. Thank you. Howard Tucker. So Howard, see, Howard is, and he's a dear, dear friend. So Howard, uh, give me a call in an hour, Howard, and uh, I'll make sure uh, we're going to get this to you. So um, everyone, uh, I do mean this when I say this at the end of the show, uh, everybody, and I want you all on the show to do the same thing. After tonight's show, go to your Facebook friends list and mm -hmm. the first name on your friends list reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call and let that person know what they mean to you. Uh, because as my dear friend, Sean Moniker says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And I always say, if you're gonna go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. I love you all so much. And uh, the best is right ahead of us. Mm -hmm. and all you have to do is what? Believe. Believe! <laughs> okay, I'll see you later. Thank you. And I'm taking the weekend off. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye. Happy anniversary. Bye. Thank you.